0: You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jamie and Jason. This is episode 195, and today Jamie and I are going to be talking about God's purpose For our pain and our struggles in life, our trials that we go through. This is a very relevant question, Jamie, because as I was mentioning to you before this recording, uh, I I recently talked with with a young man who uh, asked this question. Essentially, is the pain I'm going through a punishment from God? And it's a very real question. I think it's a very good question. It's a good sign, I should say, that he's thinking about it in the dimension of what does God plan for this? What is His purpose for this? Um, you know, obviously, there are many people who don't even want to grapple with what God's purpose could be in suffering. They don't. They don't want to even consider that question. Uh, we live in a very self entitled culture, frankly, where we we only see pain and everything related to pain as bad, and we don't often think about the fruit and the purpose behind suffering and trials. And so it's a good question to ask, and, and the question basically boils down to, is pain, is my pain a sign of God's punishment? Is God trying to punish me, or is there some lesson in here that I need to grasp for this pain to have any meaning? and Jamie as i think about this question oftentimes i think because when we go through trials it's it's very painful in the moment we don't want to uh we don't want to diminish in any way that god is glorious we don't want to diminish in any way that god is good so maybe maybe it's partly inspired because we, we feel guilt over things we've done, but also maybe it's just the, the thought of God wouldn't want to have pain in my life unless I've done something that deserves it. And, and I think that in the Bible, we do see examples, and this is good to point out, we do see examples where God does inflict punishment on people because of their disobedience, because of their uh, their guilt. One example I can think of off the top of my head is King David. When he commits adultery with Bathsheba, he is confronted by the, the prophet Nathan. And, you know, after he tells this parable and, and David recognizes his sin, he repents. He confesses that he is the guilty man. Uh, Nathan says, your sin is removed. You're, you, you know, you have been forgiven. But at the same time, there're still consequences and David's child ends up being afflicted and actually dying as a young young baby and so we look at like stories like that and we think well maybe maybe I'm David in that story maybe what's happening to me is directly related to something I've done and my goal is I just got to figure out what that is and confess and repent of it and I don't think that's that's a I don't think it's bad to consider that because obviously we do want to be repentant and we do want to acknowledge sin in our lives. And, and it could be that God's wanting to wake us up for, from whatever sinful stupor we're in, where we were, maybe we're, we're being prideful and arrogant and God, uh, God has to get our attention in that way. But at the same time, Jamie, I think it's important to point out that, There are many times in the Bible also where people suffer, and it's not directly related to their personal sin. Uh, The the obvious example is Jesus. (laughs) He certainly suffered immensely, more than we could ever fathom, and yet he was innocent. Um, He did suffer for the sins of others, and he suffered the punishment due to them, but he himself was guiltless. And then you have the example of Job from the Old Testament, and, and we could go into many more like that. But the point being, the Bible makes it clear also that there are times where we we can't just assume that because someone is going through suffering, or because I'm going through suffering, even that it's directly tied to sin, and that I'm just having that punishment meted out on me because of that. Um, but I do think, at the end of the day, God does have a purpose for suffering. So as I am introducing this this subject, what are what are some thoughts that come to your mind, Jamie?
0: Yeah, I think I think you've laid out a pretty good balanced representation there of what scripture teaches, right? We we do not deny the fact that God does bring consequence or correction, I think is a maybe better way to think of it, right? When we say punishment, we're we're using the negative, right? Which is not much like as a kid, when your parents would punish you, what would they say? Oh, this is for your own good, right? They're, that This isn't that they're just trying to be mean or they're just trying to bring pain. And I think, you know, a good maybe probably the clearest example of that would be like Hebrews chapter 12, where in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Which is to say, if you don't receive the discipline of the Lord, then the Lord doesn't love you. right? That would be a so in that sense, you want the discipline of the Lord. That's a good thing. And I think that is true, right? So that is very much a biblical concept. But I think Jason, part of it, though, is comes out of false teaching or false ideas. And this this comes to us, I think, really in two ways. One is obviously through the like word of faith type movements, right? The if I follow the Lord and if I do X, Y, and Z, if I tithe, and if I whatever, then the Lord will just bless me, and only good will come in my life, right? And that's what that's what you hear from these prosperity gospel preachers, right? If you just give enough money or, you know, if you if you're a good person, quote unquote. Then the Lord will bless you, and everything will go good, and you'll have health and wealth and prosperity and blah blah blah. so that's one side of it, and I think that has seeped into American culture dramatically, right, and also into the church as well. Um, we're talking true church here, right, because I would not call prosperity gospel the true church but uh but those concepts have I think seeped down into the church itself and even into our own you know, cultural thinking as a society. American culture is very much that way, right? You you hear this all the time. You know, why, why would a bad thing happen to a good person? Well, that's an offshoot of the same exact kind of logic, right? If I do good, only good will happen to me. The other side of it, Jason, is I think, honestly, it's a misunderstanding of Scripture itself. Because you have, especially in the Old Testament, this special relationship between Israel and the lord where if they did in fact walk in the way of the lord and live up to the covenant then the lord physically blessed them that that was that was the deal right if you walk with the lord and do what you're supposed to do then the lord will physically bless you and what so many do is they make the errored mistake of thinking that applies to just all Christians in all times, in all contexts, instead of what it is, right? So it's a misunderstanding of Scripture, and you see it—I think you see it the clearest with more conservative evangelical Christians, where you often hear the the quote— um, from Second Chronicles, the, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. Now, that verse is very much in scripture, but it's very specific in context to this covenantal relationship that God had with Israel. And so now, if we as a people do that, will we be blessed? I think we will right because that's in the nature and character of God but is that a physical blessing not necessarily in the you know health and prosperity and wealth and a wonderful life sense but it is absolutely true in a design sense right if we obey the lord's design for our good will that be a blessing to us yes will it be a blessing to our family right when i embrace biblical understanding of what it is to be a man and My wife embraces what it is to be a woman and as a husband and a wife and as parents for our kids, will that end up being a great blessing to us? Yes, right? We'll get to live the fullness of God's design for us as we seek the Lord, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be a millionaire, right? Or that I'm never going to have bad things happen in my life. There's never going to be health trials. There's never going to be sickness or death or, you know, hurt or um, betrayal, or you know anything right it It's just recognizing when I walk with the Lord and seek Him and follow the design He has for me, it will be a blessing. But then, Jason, you have that whole other factor that that you were really pointing to, which is sometimes suffering is about God's glory, and it actually has nothing to do with us other than we're in the moment now
1: yeah I think this is just a massive dimension that needs to be taken into account because when when you think about how the typical person we'll just say in the u s as an example, the typical person thinks about okay, if there is a God, then surely he intends to make me happy. That's what a good God would do and and what we then extrapolate from that is. This good God, uh, if He's real and He's He's wanting to make me happy, He's going to make me happy in this life, in circumstances, in finances, in health, like you talked about, and and we we can if we're not careful, we can begin to break the second commandment, which is um, we make a God in our own image, one who is basically there to make us happy, to suit our desires, to uh, get on board with our plans and our agenda, and get us into the school we want, get us the spouse we want, get us the career we want. And when things go bad, as life tends to do, <laughs> we will end up saying, "Why did God do this?" Or, 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 or maybe you know, just like a, a, a personal assistant who's no longer bringing the coffee on time or or spilling it on you, and you fire that personal assistant you actually start to have this mindset of, I can fire God when he's not meeting all my needs. And, and honestly, when you look at a lot of what's happened in, in the deconstruction movement that you hear about, uh, evangelicals deconstructing, a common thread that you see in those stories uh, of people who they, they basically say we've deconstructed our faith is they had thought of God in a certain way and when god was no longer living or or acting in the way they expected god was no longer behaving as they thought god should behave they they fired him essentially they 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 said this this is i realized you know they they will say things like i, I realized that i i couldn't worship a god who was like this or something along those lines and the big problem obviously there is we, if we don't start with the base level understanding of why we were even created, we were created to bring God glory. Now, yes, God does intend to bless his people, as you pointed out, Jamie. That's that's an important aspect of God. He's loving. He's kind. He's generous. But to assume that we understand how that blessing will come to us and when that blessing will come to us. And and especially if we look at it only in a this worldly fashion where, you know, it it does fit right into the, uh, you know, the American dream mindset. If, if, if suffering hits you and you're thinking in that way, or, or not just suffering, but any kind of adversity, things don't go as planned. It'll devastate you because you've actually been worshiping a false God. You've been, you've had this, this graven image that you've held up and you said, this is God, this is what he's like. And when he doesn't come through through for you, in the way you expected, you, you deconstruct. And now I know every story is unique and I'm not trying to say that's, this is exactly how every, but there's a general pattern that I've seen. And, and really it comes down to, do we, do we understand God as the all glorious one, the one who we were formed for him. And the only way we will have meaning in life is if we receive that meaning from him. And His purposes for our lives. Uh, if if we're worshiping God for what God will do for us, then we aren't yet recognizing what worship is, as defined by the Bible. What it means to actually be in a relationship with God, the true God, and and that's that's how suffering can actually be used positively. In, in this sense, um, it can purify our relationship with God, number one, it could be that we don't even have a relationship with God, and we need to see that even when bad things happen, God is God, and He anything that is good that I receive from him is by grace, and and that's a gift. And it can also be a purifying thing, in, in the sense that we could be Christians, but not be as committed to him in the hard times, because we are thinking first and foremost about how can God benefit me? And when that pain comes, it's like a, it's, it's like what uh, C.S. Lewis said, you know, pain is that megaphone God uses to, to awake, you know, to rouse a, a deaf world in the sense that it's often in those painful times that we realize, okay, I've been stripped of everything else. I need to call on God. I need to depend on God. And when life is going really well, you may have a relationship with God, but you're not you're not actually depending on Him for everything in life. And and you're 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 assuming um this is how uh life will always be, because it's gone well for so long, maybe, um, that you just assume that's God's job is to make sure your financially secure or you're having all these things line up in life. Um and it it can be a powerful wake-up call when adversity happens in a very good way and it can it can draw us closer to him in a way that just being blessed, you know, just having good times can't always do.
0: Yeah, it's a good point Jason and and I think too also recognizing that our number one goal as believers in the Lord Jesus is to help other people see the Lord and come to a saving relationship with him. And sometimes that doesn't happen very well when everything is good. And people look at our lives and they're like, well, of course you worship the Lord and and of course you have joy. And of course you walk uh, with him because everything's good, right? But then when it's not and they still see you doing that, that's a powerful testimony and and you know i think a good example of that jason is the apostle paul in philippians chapter 1 where he says in verse 12 now i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel and what has happened to him well he he told us earlier in the chapter right he says i give thanks to my god for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. So Paul is writing them from prison where you think, well, He must have broken a law. Well, yeah, in a sense, he did. He shared the gospel when he was told not to share the gospel. And so he goes to jail. And so here he is in jail and he's saying, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel so that it has become known through the whole empirical guard and to everyone else, that my imprisonment, imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. So Paul's recognizing, hey, do I like being in prison? No, I don't. But I see the beautiful advancement of the gospel. And so I, I think we would be absolutely correct in assuming that if given the option, hey, Paul, would you avoid this, this trip to prison? He would say no. No right sitting in jail again not because he likes it but because he sees that that there's been great fruit out of this the the result of his imprisonment is that the gospel's been made known to a group of people that likely it wouldn't have and then he goes on to say that not only that but um in verse 14 most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare to even uh, to even more to speak the message fearlessly, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy or strife, but others out of goodwill, those do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel and to proclaim Jesus Christ. And um, anyway, and then he goes on from there and encourages, you know, the, the believers even more. But he's saying he's recognizing, you know, three positive things have come out of this. He's in jail. Yeah, that's not fun. But it's given him the opportunity to share the gospel with all the jailers. And as a result, everybody now knows he's in jail because of Christ. So they're going, wow, you'd you'd literally go to jail proclaiming this Christ that you talk about. Okay, I need to give that a look because this is a little bit realer when you're still willing to proclaim it, even when it's what got you in prison in the first place, instead of just like, I was kidding guys, let me out. It's good. I won't say it anymore. And then it's also emboldened everybody else. They're going, well, Paul went to jail for the gospel. The least I could do is share it with my neighbor. Right. And, and so it ends up being a good thing. And and Paul continues this theme on throughout the book to the degree that he's encouraging the the believers, you know, in uh, chapter three, he says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. And and then again, in chapter four, same thing. He's telling them to rejoice in the Lord always. He's still in prison. Right. You're like, Paul, you're nuts because you're you're you know, you're having a terrible time. You're in a terrible position. And yet here you are still proclaiming the goodness of God. Why? Because you see the beauty of God at work and has the perspective that this is only a momentary thing, right? We're going to be in the presence of Christ eternally. And this first world problem of today is going to mean nothing at that point.
1: Yeah, and it's there's, there's this personal development aspect that... Um, I mean, we don't want to miss when, when we say like God, God uses suffering to to change us. He uses it to remove impurities. All of that, the goal of that is that we might become like Christ and that he would be glorified and honored. And I know a lot of people would be really appalled by that idea that God uses suffering to glorify himself. <laughs> and. But that is the teaching of Scripture. Um, just to give you a couple of examples, um, Romans five says uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so Paul saying, as we suffer, we're actually we're growing in endurance. And we're growing in character, we're becoming more like Christ, because now we're putting all our hope in God, we're produ- it's producing that hope that we wouldn't have otherwise had, we would have been hoping in something else, we would have been hoping in our bank account, or we would have been hoping in the success of our career, or hoping in how amazing our family dynamic is. And, and Paul's saying, look, through this suffering you're putting your hope in God where it should be. And then you can see it in, in Peter too. First Peter says he talks about all these trials that they're facing, and 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 first Peter, there's so many themes that 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 focus on the, the suffering that is according to God's will. But in the first chapter he says in verse six, In all this you greatly rejoice. There it is again, you, you rejoice in your sufferings, though now for a little while you may you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All kinds of trials. That covers just about everything. These have come come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, Peter's doing the same thing. He's saying, if you didn't suffer there wouldn't have been this testedness, that your, your, your faith wouldn't have been proven genuine. And in a way, you could have had this false faith that made you very comfortable for a long time. This, you would have been breaking the second commandment the whole time, you know, trusting in a false god, this graven image of, of the god you, you would like to believe in. But until that trial came, only then, with that trial... Could there be that purpose of testing your faith? And and notice this again in verse seven, these have come, he's talking about the trials. These have come so that he's, he's directly tying suffering to the purposes of God. And it's about the glory, honor, and praise of Jesus Christ when he's revealed so that when Jesus returns, when Jesus comes back, people will be rejoicing in his return if All of their affection, all of their devotion was to the things of this world and the, you know, quote, blessings of this world. The things, you know, they had tied their heart to to everything in this world. Then the return of Christ is not a reason for rejoicing. That would, that would be spelling the end of everything you've been rejoicing in, wouldn't it? And so by suffering things, by suffering the loss of things of this world, uh, including sometimes your health, or your your finances it's it's like god is weaning us off the devotion and commitment to this world that should be reserved for jesus so that when he comes back when he's revealed as peter says all that praise and glory goes to him because we're grateful for him we're, we're so thankful that he our true god and savior has come for us um and that's that's a powerful image to think of suffering as god's Surgical tool to remove that that dross that 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 uh that worldly attachment that's in our hearts and and to replace it with something so much better
0: yeah, and so Jason, I think you know in terms of understanding is is this a punishment from God or is God at work in something or is God at work in my character i I think the thing is you really know the answer to that. Because the Lord makes it clear to you that if if your if if the Lord is bringing a discipline as a result of sin, you know it because the Lord has been at work convicting you of that sin and calling you away from that sin, and so it's like you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if you're you're saying you're surprised, you're I think just not being honest with yourself because you would very well know that and. And then if the Lord wants you to grow in a way, I think you know that as well, because uh, he makes that very clear. And and then when it's about the glory of God, it's it's profoundly evident, right? Because you, you have these opportunities to continue to worship the Lord and serve the Lord and continue to walk with the Lord, even though you're in a very difficult season or stage of life. And... And recognize that, you know, I have two options. I can bellyache my way through that, or I can use it as an opportunity for God to get glory, which may result, you never know who it results in uh, ultimately coming to Christ. I, I heard a story of a guy who the, he felt the Lord was calling him to share the gospel with this person at his work. And so he did, he went and, you know, shared the gospel with this guy and this guy just berated him, tore him up one side and down the other side and, you know, cussed him out and whatever. And he left like, whoa, like the Lord called me to do this. And then that happened. And, and then the Lord was just like, Hey, do it again. He's like, what are you kidding? Heck no and but he did and the same thing happened and then the lord told him to do it a third time and the same thing happened and what's funny about this story is that person never accepted christ but there was another colleague who was in the room every time and he ended up going wow what was interesting to him towards the gospel was seeing this person respond to that kind of horrible treatment in a, a, a loving way, in a kind way, in a gracious way, in a godly way. And that's where he's like, hmm, there must be something to this gospel if the result is you can be treated like that and and not punch the guy out, right? Like that's... Uh, And so it's, you know, you you just see that God works in these ways often for his glory. And I think a good example of that is Habakkuk uh, chapter one, verse five, where God tells the prophet, you know, the prophet's been decrying all the evil that the people of Israel are doing and, and pleading with the Lord, Lord, do something, right? Act, deal with evil. And God's response in verse five is he says, I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe, even if I told you it. And, and I think that's one of the most exciting verses in all of scripture is like God is doing incredible things that he can't even explain them to it. Like we would not even believe it. It's so big or so awesome that we just have no idea. Yeah. So Jamie,
1: kind of to wrap up this, this whole conversation, I think, it's it's a beautiful thing when people can can look at their lives and say, I I'm a vessel for God's use. And if God wants to bring it if God wants to permit any kind of suffering into my life, whether it's you know hardships in uh finances, hardships in relationships, hardships, you know, and at the office, like the situation you described. If God wants to use that in my life, so that He gets the glory, that I'm willing to be used, and and if we can have that attitude, now that is a work of the Spirit of God to to bring about that attitude. We we naturally grate against that attitude. We don't want to be in a real, very real sense. We don't want to be used by God in that way. We would rather have the um, the likability. We'd rather have things go our way. We'd rather have all the ducks line up in a row in our lives. But if God so chooses to bring in adversity and to use that to glorify himself, it is a gift. It's something the Bible says we should rejoice in. In fact, I'll maybe close with these words from Jesus because it captures what we've been talking about. He says, blessed are those
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.